Well, let's turn back to Daniel and let's pray together. Father, we pray as we come to your word now, we ask that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. And above all, what we are not, you would make us. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory and honor. Amen. Well, in the days before uh, Facebook, there were days like that, and Twitter, before YouTube, before TikTok, there was something even more exciting. In the 1990s, we had magic eye posters. Now, if you're over 30, you can remember them. There's some nods. Um, to the untrained eye, magic eye posters, they were, they were simply kind of really colorful posters with funny patterns on them. But uh, if you took a, a second glance, if you looked really hard, if you stopped blinking for as long as you could stop blinking, and then if you kind of crossed your eyes, you would see a, a 3D image uh, coming towards you. I, I told you it was exciting, wasn't it? I, I tried to look at some of these online. I must be getting older. I can't see them anymore. I thought about projecting one on the screen. I resisted that temptation. Why do I begin with a blast from the past? Well, the key is sight. The key is our eyes. Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 11, uh, they help us see things clearly. They help us see things from a divine perspective. In these chapters, the curtain is being pulled back. In these chapters, we're seeing things as they really are. And in chapter 10, there's a vision. In chapter 11, there's a preview. And both these things, both these chapters, they're designed to, to help God's people live faithfully in a hostile world. So I've got two points tonight. Just two points. And the first is this, look behind the scenes. Look behind the scenes. In chapter 10, Daniel sees a terrifying vision. And yet the wonderful thing about this vision is that it strengthens him. It gives him courage. My prayer is it will strengthen us too. As we look at it, look first at the timing of the vision. Look at the timing of it as we begin. Before we hear what Daniel saw, Daniel tells us when he saw it. This is the kind of thing that we, well, we want to rush past. We want to get to the big reveal in verse 5. But there are all kinds of little important details in the first few verses of chapter 10. Look first at verses 2 to 4. Vision comes to Daniel on the 24th day. And it comes after Daniel has been in mourning for three weeks. It was during this time that the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread would have been celebrated. Daniel would have had those feasts on his mind. And that might be why he is in mourning. Before he receives this vision, Daniel would have been thinking about the, the events of the Exodus. He would have been longing for God's people to experience that kind of deliverance again. And in a sense, they just had, if you look at verse 1, notice the reference to King Cyrus. 
Now, Cyrus is a, a, a very big figure in Old Testament history. He was raised up by God to defeat the Babylonians. He was a kind of, we could say, secular Messiah. And Isaiah 45 tells us all about him. And it's a reminder as we begin that in this chapter, God is at work behind the scenes of history. A great ruler like Cyrus ultimately did God's bidding. Um, In the words of the disciples in Acts chapter 4, he did what God's power and will decided beforehand should happen, just like those who killed the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this man, because of Cyrus, God's people had been allowed to return home to Jerusalem. And yet that return was, well, it was underwhelming. There was all kinds of opposition. Daniel himself was not back there, was he? That may be another reason why he was mourning. He was longing for home. So the timing of this vision is interesting. There's another detail here. The third year of Cyrus was 537 BC. And what that means is that by this point, Daniel, by the time he gets this vision, Daniel would have been in his mid-80s. Now, there are some people in this church who are in that bracket. Um, This could get me in trouble. Kids, you have my permission at the end of this service to go up to someone you think might be in their mid-80s. And ask them how God has looked after them all through their lives. Well, Daniel, he had known that. Daniel had lived his whole adult life in a really hostile environment. He'd persevered. But the really important thing about Daniel is that God had persevered with him through all the changing scenes of his life. God had kept him. God can keep us. God can keep us if uh, the UK continues to slide down a secular slope. God can keep us when we face all kinds of uncertainty in our lives. God is our keeper. And each one of us tonight, if we're Christians, we've been kept by God. We've been kept for heaven. We are held on to tonight by our Savior. We don't need to be afraid. And yet Daniel is afraid, isn't he? As we look at this vision, I don't want us just to see the timing of it. I want us to feel something of the terror of it, the terror of it. What Daniel sees uh, in this vision is something that leaves him utterly overwhelmed. Daniel seems to take the whole of the rest of this chapter to get over it. And we know it is terrifying because even those who are with him are afraid. Even those who don't actually see flee, verse 7. It's terrifying. Daniel sees a man clothed in linen. This was the, the material of the high priest's garment. He has a belt of gold. You don't have a belt of gold unless you're a king. 
His face is like lightning. His eyes are like torches. There's all kinds of other descriptions given of him to to impress home just how powerful this individual is. What Daniel is seeing is, is someone with absolute authority. And if you think this uh, description, if it, as we read it, if it felt like the book of Revelation, well, you were right to think that. It's very similar to the vision of Jesus that John sees in chapter 1 of that great book. It seems to be a, a theophany, an appearing of, of God himself, or maybe even a Christophany, a pre-incarnate, non-physical manifestation of Jesus Christ. Daniel's being taken behind the scenes. Before Daniel hears about king after king after king in chapter 11, he, he catches a glimpse of the true king. He sees the one person with total authority. He's reminded that there's someone so much greater than, than Cyrus, than Darius, than Belshazzar. And it has an effect on him. He trembles. This is what happens when people encounter God, isn't it? Think of Isaiah in the temple. Think of Moses, the burning bush. Think of Peter, James, and John on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Saul on the road to Damascus. When, when people come face to face with the living God in all his holiness, in all his greatness, it strikes them. They are different They're not indifferent to that event. This has implications for us, doesn't it? I don't think we should um, try to manufacture these feelings. But as we come to worship God week by week, we should ask God to give us a deep sense of his holiness, a deep sense of his greatness, his otherness, his Beauty, listen to Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Yet even as he experiences this this terrifying vision, Daniel is reassured. There's a third T here, timing, terror, but touch. Daniel is touched three times in verse 10, in verse 16, in verse 18. The second time, he's touched on his lips like Isaiah. Why was this? Well, there's something, isn't there, about a touch. There's something about a touch that can be so... Reassuring. One of the things um, COVID taught us, even if we were not huggy people, is that we missed them. And in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, he, he places his, his right hand on John in a similar way to what we see here. He says to John, don't be afraid. And in verses 10 and verse 19 of this first chapter, Daniel is told, something wonderful. Can you see it? Daniel is told in verse 11, sorry, Daniel is told that he is greatly loved. I think that God loves to do this. God loves to come and reassure his people. 
God loves to remind us of, of simple but wonderful truths like this. I said uh, two weeks ago that I think, I wonder if some of us, maybe even tonight, are longing to hear those words from God, longing to know that we are loved by Him, even if we've been Christians for years. Well, here they are in this chapter twice. This is the way God speaks to us if we are His children. God sees our efforts. God knows us. God cares for us. God hears our prayers. That's what Daniel is told in verse 12. Do you see that? Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Your words have been heard. Prayer is highlighted here. Now, why is that? Well, much of this um, final section of Daniel is about conflict. But it's really about a spiritual war. I mean, uh, as the, the chapter goes to an end, there's all this talk about Persia and Michael and all that kind of thing. It can seem quite confusing. And yet what all of it points to is the reality of spiritual warfare behind the powers of this age, behind those powers are spiritual powers. There are dark forces at work in this world. I wonder if we believe that. There is a spiritual battle going on even now. And yet that battle, that, that conflict... It's not fought in the usual way by God's people. It's not a military conflict. It's a spiritual one. There's a great war going on, but it's not on some battlefield. It's fought in the heavenly realms. It's fought at the prayer meeting. It's fought on our knees. You and I don't always think that, do we? Sometimes we think... We think church life is all about having great programs, great activities, that kind of thing. We can bring in God's kingdom with our plans. But this chapter teaches us that behind the scenes is a great spiritual conflict. This chapter reminds us that our prayers are heard, that, that nothing is more important than prayer, that we have the ear of one who loves us, one who's all-powerful, one who's in control. So look behind the scenes. Secondly, though, read between the lines. Read between the lines. Looking here at chapter 11 and verses 1 to 20. Read between the lines. Well, I mentioned uh, the 1990s earlier. If you were around uh, then, you'll know that um, as the, the century, as the millennium uh, reached a close, there was, there was a great fear. Y2K. The great fear was uh, the millennium bug. And this was not a medical virus. This was a fear largely about clocks. There was a great fear that once we got to the end of 1999, digital clocks would not be able to cope with the, with the change on December the 31st. As we struck midnight, 
there was a fear that digital clocks would go back to the year 1900. It didn't happen. But in the days leading up to that event, uh, lots of people started to, to stock up on food and water and power generators and all kinds of things. And um, some of you uh, look like maybe you uh, may have done th- those things. I don't know. Uh, chapter 11 is all about the future. But what we have in uh, chapter 11, well, it's not like 1999. It's not a whole list of things that might happen. It's a whole list of things that do happen. It's a prediction that came true. After Daniel sees this this terrifying vision, he hears of what we could call a horrible history, a horrible history to come. It's certain. And like the vision, it's, it's designed to strengthen him. And what we're going to do tonight is uh, look at this uh, section. We're going to try and look between the lines. Now, um, needless to say, there are some people who who don't believe that it is possible for for anyone to speak like this. There are some authors who come to a a chapter like Daniel chapter 11 and let their worldview persuade them that it could not possibly have been written in advance, that this, this chapter must have been written, written later and then copied and pasted into the book of Daniel by some editor. But that is to limit God. That's to simply have a God in your own image. You and I don't know the future, but God does know the future. And God is able to tell us, God told Daniel, things that were coming. What we find in this chapter is a repeated pattern. Rulers rise and then rulers fall. That is the pattern of human history. Now, we were all at, the, at Brotty Ferry Beach the other weekend, and rulers are like waves on the seashore. There is a tide in the affairs of men, as someone once said. Rulers come. They come in and then they, they go out. This chapter is like that. It feels repetitive. It's, there's almost a limit to how much of it we can listen to. It's one king after another, one alliance after another, one conflict after another. And yet that's the whole point. Human power, it just comes and goes. You see, look at verse 7. And look at the last three words in the first sentence in verse 7, in his place. In his place, rulers rise and then rulers fall. That is the pattern of history. There is destruction in this chapter, but there is also a huge amount of frustration. And yet there's not just a repeated pattern, there's a repeated problem. There are times when when certain rulers seem to to arrive on the stage of human history. And instead of just saying their lines, instead of playing their part, well, they act like the director. They try to rip up the script of history. It seems to everyone around them that there will never be a world without these men. To pick up the wave metaphor, sometimes the seas get so stormy, sometimes particular waves crash through history. 
See, this is a world where, where certain rulers seem to have great dominion, verse 3. They seem to be able to do just exactly what they want to do. This is a world where might is right, where, where rulers make alliances that benefit them. There, ours is a world where destruction, verse 16, and insolence, verse 18. They, they seem to be the modus operandi of so many. This is a world of dynasty and destiny and death. And in these verses, two big kings are mentioned, the king of the north and the king of the south. The first is Syria, second is Egypt. These are dynasties. And the descendants of these two men, they dominate this chapter, the verses that we read. We're not going to look through every twist and turn, but look at verses 10 to 13. Here's one example. Look at verses 10 to 13. What do we see in these verses? We see great forces. We see rage. We see a great multitude. We see proud hearts. We see acts of terrible violence. It's like something out of it's like something out of Lord of the Rings, isn't it? And yet it's not a film. This is a world Daniel is being told about, a world where conflict and battle and all that goes with it is the norm. This is Daniel's world. It is our world. But it's not just that there's a repeated problem, a repeated pattern. There is also real persecution. This is a world where, where God's people often experience hatred and rage. We're going to see more of this next week, but look at verse 16. Let me zoom in on one figure in this chapter. The scholars tell us that the man in verse 16 is Antiochus III of Syria. He is one of the descendants of the king of the north. Look how he behaves. He comes against him. He comes to do as he wills. No one shall stand before him. He will stand in the, in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom. Here's a man who seems godlike. No one can stand against him. He, he takes his stand in, in the glorious land. That's a reference to the land of Israel. He has destruction in his hand. And yet look at how his life will end, verse 19. Then he shall turn his face back towards the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. This great, powerful man will come to an end. And so, friends, what does this chapter teach us? What do these verses teach us? I think, I think it teaches us at least three things. It says, first, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the world is like this. This is the way the world goes. This is what human power so often looks like. And whether it's through military might or marriage alliances or all kinds of manipulation, this is a world where the disciples of Jesus, they, they feel the breath 
of the antichrists on their neck. Don't be surprised when the world is like this. There will be wars and rumors of wars, said Jesus. Second, don't be alarmed. When rulers seem to come, when they seem to dominate, when, when opposition to God's kingdom comes, we should, we should never think that his will is in danger. Daniel is being told all of this in advance before it happens. We should never think that God's plans are somehow knocked off course. The early church had to learn this, didn't they? In Acts chapter 12, King Herod, he embarked on a great persecution of the early church. It happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Peter was one of those captured. But how does that chapter end? How does Acts 12 end? It ends with Peter out of prison. It ends with Herod eaten by worms. And then Luke says this. He says, the word of God continued to spread. And so there's a third, there's a final thing to hold on to tonight. Don't be surprised, don't be alarmed, but don't despair. See, we began, didn't we, with Daniel in, in mourning for three weeks. And there are three weeks till something else, aren't there? Isn't there? All the kids know. This, this horrible history, I think it leaves us longing for a true king, a king of kings. As we look at our world, as we look at a text like this, you and I were crying out for someone to come, someone to, to clear up the mess, someone to take the government on his shoulders. And the wonderful news of Christmas is that there is such a king. Isaiah gives us his titles, doesn't he? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He has come. He's promised to come again. And when he does, he will reign forever and ever. And so even Daniel, with all its blood and with all its gore, it leads us to sing, leads us to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, let's pray together.